Does the channel provide value? Focus on the foundation. I am a travel vlogger. It's always about communication. Build those partnerships. What are the problems that you solve for your clients? Just being ahead on the technological side of things. Leading an organization. You not only want to survive, but you want to thrive. They said it wouldn't last, and they said that you can't drive profitable and incremental revenue through the affiliate channel. But here we are, 20 years later, and the affiliate channel is alive and kicking and generating profitable revenue for thousands of retailers across the globe. Hi, I am Jamie Birch, your host of the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast, where we talk to some of the industry's best and brightest about their careers, about leadership, and about how to drive profitable revenue through the affiliate channel. Welcome to the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast. This is Jamie Birch, your host and founder of jebcommerce.com. Just realize Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast is a mouthful. I think I tend to go through that pretty fast. Well, I'm excited for today's guests, Fahim Diala. Uh, and Fahim and I have worked together and our team has worked together on multiple occasions, uh, working together to manage some pretty sophisticated affiliate programs in the travel and apparel space. Uh, we have, uh, I think we've worked with Fahim for about uh, six or seven years, maybe somewhere around there, uh, and managed some international programs, multi-brand programs for and with uh, Fahim. Uh, today, we talk about a bunch of stuff. Uh, we go into the conflict and tension between brand managers and affiliate marketing, brand marketing, affiliate marketing. We talk about the necessity of data and good KPIs, but we also talk about paralysis by analysis and also what happens when you're scrutinizing data just to scrutinize data and, and what to do. But we dive into all sorts of stuff. So I'm going to get out of the way so you can listen to my conversation with Fahim Diallo. All right, here we are. Fahim, thank you so much for joining me today on the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for being flexible with all the scheduling we have to go through. Yeah, well, same thing on your end. I appreciate that. I think uh, my last rescheduling was because of the many physical injuries that uh, I've incurred this summer. <laughs> right on. How's was that the ankle? Yeah, I I broke my ankle about six weeks ago, and then I figured since I'm down and out, I might as well go get uh, another thing <laughs> fixed. That was my wrist. So I pretty much have had two corners. Uh, of uh, of my body completely out of commission, but we're we're coming out of that. So now I'm I'm almost uh I'm probably about ninety percent on both of those. So able to kind of nice. get back into the swing of things. I know my wife is pretty excited about me getting back on the chore list. Uh, so. <laughs> Your wife is gracious enough to let you get off of it for that time period. <laughs> <laughs> they are. I, I I'm sure it's been frustrating for her and and the kids. Uh, but they're, they're starting to put me back in the, in the rotation. So I'll, I'll be getting back on that soon. Right on. Well, how, how have you been? Good, good. I know one of the delays that we originally had was, um, with the birth of my second born. And so she's now about to be four months. Wow. Um, so that kind of, I guess like the time range, it's been about four months in the making yeah. for this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah, well, that's fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, so it's been, it's been, uh, man, it's been interesting. I don't know how people have more than two kids. Um, 
kudos to them because we're my wife and I were just getting adjusted to one and now we have number two. So now we're trying to restart the adjustment mode, if you will. <laughs> and how old is your first? Uh, my first is turning four next month. So yeah. That's a good, uh, that's a good distance apart. I know for me, the second was pretty dramatic. Uh, the difference really? between one and two yeah. now between two and three and three and four, that wasn't so dramatic. Oh man. Yeah. At that point, you're just like, you know, <laughs> used to the chaos, I guess. Right. <laughs> a, a little bit. It becomes more of a management exercise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My, my friend just had his third kid and, you know, he put it, he put it really well, I thought. And he said, you know, you go you go from playing man-to-man to zone defense. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's the, the, the analogy I've heard a lot. And I think it's uh, I think it's true. You know, your second, you're still like, man, did we do that? Are we doing a good job? <laughs> By the fourth, you're you're you know so much can go wrong and everything still be pretty good. So you tend to relax yeah. a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but that's that's awesome. Now you, we, you and I met uh, while we worked together um, on one of uh, a pretty phenomenal uh, affiliate program, multifaceted, multi-region, uh, lots of brands. But tell me how you got started in digital marketing. Where did you find out about it? How did you get involved with it? Was, was yeah. that the intent from the beginning? Um, no. I mean, just to kind of put things in perspective, when I finished college, I was pretty much set to um, get into sports marketing. That's what I originally wanted to get into. I did, I had the, uh, you know, I was able to get some really cool internships, which were really fun with the LA Galaxy, Los Angeles Kings. And, you know, I was working game days and got a taste of what, um, what could be essentially and um, realized that it wasn't what, all I wanted to get into after all. And so I kind of was just kind of finding my way through what was out there. I believe it or not, um, being in digital marketing was not something that I had even thought about until probably a few years into it. Uh, and, and starting out with the more of a brand marketing focus um, kind of gave me Uh, a taste of what I was always curious about when I was running brand marketing campaigns is, you know, are my strategies working or not? Are things that I um, intend to come off a certain way? Is that how they're being received? And all these questions that you have. And so when I got exposed to digital marketing, it was kind of blew my mind um, and immediately started to align myself in that direction because that was obviously going to be the future. And um, so far, it's worked out uh, pretty well. Now, what was it the what was it about sports marketing that surprised you and and made you kind of think <laughs> of a different direction? The pay, like ultimately, it was the pay, <laughs> and it, you, that's a grinder industry. Yeah. Like right out the gates, you're at like you know you're working for dimes because the you know everyone wants to get into entertainment and sports. So like, you know, the entry level, um, the amount of years you have to put in just to get somewhere respectable, um, I thought was the the barrier to entry essentially was too long for me to kind of stay on that track. 
Yeah, that's a, you know, and I've heard that a lot. I have a lot of friends who went to school to do just that and they thought it would be the coolest thing ever. And after slogging away for a few years and not really, and making any financial headway, uh, most of them are, are completely out of that area. What was the first uh, transition job that you got in digital marketing? What did you do after you left sports? So I, I started working for a nonprofit where I really got exposed to a lot of the digital marketing um, side of the world. Um, this nonprofit, you know, I was 25 years old. Um, they didn't have a marketing department. So they're like, here, you start one up, <laughs> which kind of gave me a really good idea of all the, all the different things that I could potentially get into to solidify my career. And the more I dabbled with digital marketing, the more I fell in love with it. And that kind of um, started out with the whole uh, getting into a digital marketing agency and um, really furthering my um, expertise and knowledge in that in that space. Now, through your career, you, you've you know you've had several different positions. What was the criteria? How did you make the decision on when to move and where to move to? What were those like the important things that you took into consideration? I so for me, like once I understood that digital marketing was going to be kind of the space, then it was really about okay, how much. Like, how can I get a breadth of experience, try different things, new channels, new campaigns, or whatever the case might be. And at any given point, if I felt that I was being, I don't know, there was, uh, I don't know if being stagnant was an option at all. Um, If if my position or my company was going to stay stagnant in, whether it's increasing my knowledge or whatever the case might be, I, you know, I, I immediately looked for other places to kind of continue to grow um, either my experience or uh, just knowledge in the space. It's a great, great to hear. I, I did a lot of the, uh, similar things when you, um, when you looked at that next position, did you have sort of an end in mind? Like, Oh, I want to be, this is where I'm going. And now I need to go get this experience. So ultimately, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I, I get asked that a lot. My my ultimate goal when I was doing my undergrad was uh, to be at to become a CMO one day, and that's kind of a lofty goal if you think about it. Some punk kid, twenty one years old, thinking about yeah. becoming a CMO. <laughs> I had no idea how I was going to get there. Um, Initially, I thought I was going to go towards a sports route, but obviously ended up going to nonprofit instead. So I, I knew what I wanted and I still still to this day, I, you know, that's still the goal. Um, how I'm going to get there is, is, is sort of it was a it was a mystery at that time. Um, I think, it, you know, 15 years in, um, <laughs> it's starting to become a little bit more clearer, if you will. Um, but even, even to this day, I think anyone that says, you know, I knew exactly what I was going to do is a liar <laughs> that nobody actually knows. And, and um, you know, in the 15 years of my career, I've, I've now experienced a recession a year or two into post-college life um, yeah. and then a pandemic. So, um, you know, 
just the experiences you accumulate going through these things, um, becoming resourceful and all of those things. You know, I tell people all the time where, um, you know, even if I wanted to replicate my experience for the next 20 years, I probably wouldn't be able to just because of everything that's gone on to kind of shape it. That's a really good point. And I, I've got you beat by one recession. That's it. (laughs) And, but it was the same coming out of uh, college for me too, went right into that. And, and now we're coming out of this pandemic. Hopefully, you know, we continue to come out of this pandemic through like through those trials. What, what lessons did you pull from it that relate to, to the, the marketing role? I think for for me in general, and and, and not to get too philosophical here, um, and I, and I know like a lot of times in my preparation, um, you know, you you prepare and you kind of increase your knowledge in whatever aspect of life you're trying to prepare, so you know you don't have to deal with issues or problems or shortcomings. Um, But I think the pandemic for me, like it was about knowing that regardless of what you prepare for, things are ultimately out of your control and how you react to those things is essentially what gives you that, that grit, right. And, and that resilience. And, and I think we, when we're in comfortable times, we tend to oversee or underestimate that grit and the resilience that's required to get you through a lot of these things. And going through the pandemic, it kind of, kind of gave me confidence that, you know, regardless of what happens or what comes in front of me, I know that I have the work ethic and the values and the whatever you want to call it to get through it and be okay. Yeah. I was talking to, uh, I presented on something to a coaching group recently. And they, they said, well, how did you, what did you do to be so kind of even throughout all these crises and turbulence? Mm-hmm. I said, you got to go through crises and turbulence. Yeah. Like, I, Do you think there's any way to replace that resilience, the stoicism in what you've learned through these other than going through them? Not at all. I mean, you know, the, the turbulence essentially can also be seen as post-college life, right? Like in in your entire education, you have this curriculum that you follow, you know, exactly when the tests are going to be, when to prepare for a midterm, blah, blah, blah. Everything's kind of spelled out. As soon as you graduate, you're kind of just like, you're on your own and you kind of, you either sink or swim, right? And, and um, through going through this pandemic, it was kind of like, you know, you, you, you can really get down and, and being at home all the time. And it could kind of add to a, um, a level of instability from like mental health standpoint, but, you know, or you can use that time to really like do some self-reflection and kind of use that time to improve where you might have some shortcomings and, um, figure out how you're going to ultimate over ultimately overcome the challenge that everyone is going through. Right. So, yeah. 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 Did you notice any, like, did marketing change, you think, at all through the pandemic? Like, as we come out, are there any things that completely different? I think the the overall overall adoption rate of technology, e-commerce, anything related, remotely related to technology um, was 
expedited, right? Like, you know, I used to joke around and say, like, you know, I used to get these annoying Zoom calls from salespeople. And now I got my mom setting up Zoom calls to have like a family meeting or something, right? So yeah, um, yeah. you have, and, and could you imagine going through a pandemic without social media or without these devices? Like, I think these things, we, we tend to downplay them or, or like, you know, look down on them. Um, but ultimately, like, I know, like, TikTok saved my life in a lot of ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just look at some of the nonsense that's out there, and it kind of helps you get through some of the tougher times. And, and yeah. I think that's where marketing has changed is that like, it's no longer about, uh, it's no longer about mobile devices, mobile first will be here. You know, I think when we started working, we were talking about mobile first, um, being around the corner or whatever the case might be, but like it, it is mobile first, second, third, fourth at this point, right? Like it's just mobile. Yeah. Um, people are becoming more used to, um, spending money over mobile. Um, whereas previously it was like, no, I have to be at my desk and, and those types of things with that, you know, just older generations becoming more used to, um, using Apple pay and, um, yeah. All, all these other, uh, you know, advances in, in some of the platforms that we used. Yeah. You know, anecdotally, I've seen, I've seen that whole traditional thing of like, the older generation not adopting things quickly and just saying, here, I'll send this over to my grandson or granddaughter to, to take over. I've noticed, though, in the, in the pandemic, it's almost like they didn't have the option to, to do that because we couldn't be together. So you, you couldn't say, well, I, I'm just too old for that. And me mm-hmm. at 46, my dad sent me a, a TikTok. He's like, hey, I saw this on TikTok. And he sent it to me. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> TikTok? Why is my dad on TikTok? But yeah, that adoption yeah. is real big. On the B2B side, I noticed that uh, a lot of the marketing, because you know, it's not the, the physical marketing isn't working because people aren't at their office location any longer. Yep. And getting getting addresses and things like that uh, mm-hmm. is almost impossible now. So that's that's really hard. But well, before we get into some of the marketing questions, tell me what you're doing now. You know, for uh, I've I've basically divided 2021, uh, and, and jokingly I call my daughters thing one and thing two. So <laughs> <laughs> so I've, it's kind of like pre uh, daughter number two and. Uh, post daughter number two. So my daughter was a born in April. So first quarter, if you, if you will, it was pretty laid back. <laughs> um, I had more time. We were just kind of waiting for our daughter. So um, we, we did a little bit more. Um, and now with her uh, being so young, um, we have been kind of um, a little bit more at home and, and just trying to get used to that side of um, parenting. But also for me personally, last year, I was doing um, a lot more of, you know, uh, getting into some of the COVID activities, trading basketball cards and getting back into some of the older hobbies. Nice. Um, but I've had to kind of put that on on hold a little bit as well. And um, just focusing on uh, clients a little bit more and um, making that 
priority family and clients are kind of the one to punch right now. Yeah. Well, you got your hands full, you know, running <laughs> your, your own agency and that's share digital, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, spelled S H A Y R. And so just a little context on that share in, in uh, Urdu, which is um, a language spoken um, all over the world, but uh, native to uh, Pakistan, um, it means lion. So the whole right the whole thought or the context was share digital is the the king of the digital jungle. Um, we we uh, focus on performance and brand marketing, and um, we we help businesses grow uh, regardless of size of the business. And you know we we customize these. Uh, um, different uh, strategies uh, focus on uh, growing revenue for the company. Awesome. That's a really good segue into my first question. Uh, you you started out your career looking to go in the brand uh, marketing arena. You and I worked yeah. together on several different advertisers in the yeah. performance marketing world. So they often struggle to fit together. Um, but how do mm -hmm. they work together? How do you manage them cooperatively? Yeah, I think... Um, that's easier said than done because ultimately, um, it comes down to allocation of marketing dollars. And as of recent, and I would say in the last 10 years, there's been a lot of focus on performance marketing and, you know, it's, it's, um, there's, there's always, uh, some level of conflict or tension, which personally, you know, having the background on both sides, I feel like it's sort of nonsense in a way that kind of has to that tone has to be set from top down and what i mean by that is um, the leadership and the organization how they treat the departments or how they talk about it can sometimes lead um to those Ill, Ill feelings or tension um and so i think that's that's one of the ways to avoid any kind of conflict is like leadership and the executive teams have to realize that just because you can't put something in a spreadsheet doesn't mean it doesn't work and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And just because you can put something in a spreadsheet doesn't mean it needs to be scrutinized to the point where it becomes ineffective. And so um, you kind of have to look at it as marketing as a whole, um, understand the business as to what is going to help drive and, and increase the revenue and um, how do you achieve those goals um, against whatever those KPIs that you're looking for? And obviously, it, it can vary if you're a very small business. You may not have as much room to do brand building or brand awareness because you're just trying to capture whatever demand is out there. If you're a larger business, then you want to kind of um, do a full funnel strategy. Um, ultimately, you kind of have to look at it as um, marketing as a whole and um, without the upper funnel and the brand building um, even your mid to low funnel marketing is going to run out and it, you're going to hit a point of diminishing return so it's always a balancing act but it kind of starts with knowing your business and your customers uh, where to find them what the seasonality looks like and you put your marketing dollars towards whatever is going to help achieve those goals holistically too much of either of those uh, sides of the spectrum is going to um, drive up cost and um, drive down the efficacy. 
Fantastic. One thing you mentioned I want to kind of dive into is uh, the concept of just because it can't be put in a spreadsheet doesn't mean it works or doesn't work. And then just because you can put it in a spreadsheet doesn't mean, need, mean it needs to be scrutinized, you know, to death. Yeah. And that's in performance marketing from, from our side of that fence looking in, uh, many affiliate managers, uh, many, you know, well, affiliate managers and affiliates feel that the, one of the benefits of performance marketing, affiliate marketing is so much data is available in that transaction. Yeah. Yeah. It's also one of the downsides because so much data is available in that transaction. And mm -hmm. if the top from the top down isn't uh, well, isn't friendly to that channel, that scrutiny can go on forever. Yeah. Uh, it ha so how do you, you know, we've done really uh, creative and, and expansive performance marketing programs together. How, how do you, if, if top from the top down, isn't, you know, doesn't blend those two together, that, that kind of directive from top down, how do you, from, you know, bottom up, how do you navigate that conversation? Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's kind of a reality of a lot of performance marketers and, and even brand marketers, because, you know, there's so many cool opportunities out there, um, especially on, uh, you know, I don't want to say recent emergence of influencer marketing, but, you know, in the last five to 10 years, it's been even more so. And so one of the ways you kind of have to um, make sure there's a balance there is understanding that one, you can't really hold the same KPIs to uh, the, the different um, activities or, or tactics that you're going to have um, to, um, you know, touch the different parts of the funnel, different customer life cycle stages or whatever the case might be right so under and and that's why i start with like understanding the business and the customers um because based on who you're trying to target you're going to it, it becomes very easy to understand where you're going to find that audience um and and so from from that standpoint um you kind of have to you kind of have to be the voice of reason i've worked with um executive teams that have required a lot of education and understanding that, Hey, like, um, a lot of scrutiny without anything that's actionable is just a waste of time. Um, mm. and you don't want to get too caught up because then you get into the, um, paralysis by analysis and you actually don't get anything done. Yeah. And on the other hand, you kind of, if you're on the performance marketing side, you, you kind of can't poo poo, brand marketing and, and kind of sling mud uh, to make things worse because ultimately it's going to come back to haunt you when you're trying to uh, be more efficient. So what I've done in the past, a small example is um, if there's, let's say, an influencer program that brand marketing team wants to do, you kind of help them make that be more quantifiable. And one way I've done that is through an affiliate program. Um, and that's why I think our partnership in the past has worked out so well is, is because we're ultimately trying to uncover whatever channel it is, um, whether it's performance or brand, how can we increase the business and being very channel agnostic. At the end of the day, there's always going to be a ton of data. How much of it can you use to 
actually be productive and and um, move the organization forward is is um, different from organization to organization. There's been some yeah. that are very rudimentary, others are a little bit more sophisticated. So you kind of have to work together and and you kind of have to be the voice of reason regardless of whether you're on the brand side or the performance side. Are you enjoying the show so far? I sure hope so. You know, there's been an awful lot of discussion over the last few years about the value of coupon affiliates. Maybe even you have doubted whether there's value or not. Well, we at JB Commerce wanted to find out, and the good news is the data is out there. So we interviewed all the top networks, did our own research, and compiled all the data from many reports already done about these affiliates on whether they add value or not. You see, we wanted to know the truth. And that resulted in an ebook that is now available to you at jebcommerce.com value. In this ebook, you'll find the three categories of coupon affiliates, information from Rakuten's marketing report on incrementality, data from Google and Comscore, data from Link Connector on commission stealing funnel participation, and data on brand perception, and so much more. If you're struggling with this debate and trying to determine your coupon strategy, you definitely want to download this free ebook. And I want you to have this 100% for free simply for being a listener of our podcast. You can access this free ebook at jbcommerce.com value, all for free. So thank you for listening. Now back to our show. All right, Fahim. So we've been talking about <clears throat> brand versus uh, affiliate uh, and the amount of scrutiny that can happen within uh, the affiliate channel. Uh, one thing you mentioned earlier was scrutiny without anything actionable. Uh, yeah. you know, so talk to me about, you know, what, what does that mean? How do you identify when we're just scrutinizing to get more data? Yeah, it, it's, it's kind of like, you know, a lot of times, um, growth and performance marketing tends to get scrutinized just because there is so much data coming out, um, that sometimes we could just focus on, things that don't necessarily move the needle or don't really mean a lot. Um, so obviously there's a lot of vanity metrics um, and getting too narrowly focused on those vanity metrics could definitely take you down a path that will cost you a lot of time and efficiency, but won't actually get anything um, fruitful out of it. And an example of that could be, um, you know, um, but let's, let's look at email, for example. Um, a lot of times we tend to focus on the number of subscribers in our list or our open rate even, but like the true engagement happens once someone opens the email. So, you know, looking at fluctuation in open rates and those types of things, may not necessarily give you the full picture and and you know a number of other things where in grand scheme of things like it's not really about the size of your email lists or um some of these vanity metrics but ultimately how much revenue your email channel is driving as a whole um so if your revenue is going up but some of these vanity metrics are not looking to whatever your expectation might be definitely want to look into it investigate but you know, you don't want to spend a ton of time 
um, and energy trying to figure out exactly why, because there's so many nuances to email. Um, and, you know, you can't really unsubscribe to a list without opening it. So like open rates don't necessarily, you know, it's not the end all be all right. I know in, in the affiliate world, we used to really measure impressions back in the day. Uh, yeah. and that was, uh, you know, a vanity metric for a, a long time. We, I haven't looked at an impression count in, in, I don't know, uh, in, I don't know how long, um, I yeah. think active or, you know, number of affiliates in a program can be uh, a vanity metric. Do you agree? Absolutely. And, and to your point on the impressions, I ha- I actually had this conversation with an executive and I was kind of just confused as to what the end line or the end goal was. And um, they were really just caught up in why did the CTR drop? Um, And we were trying to, I was trying to explain, you know, hey, when your impressions increase, naturally it's going to paint a picture as if your CTR is dropping. So you kind of have to look at the CTR relative to overall click volume. And that can go for any, anything, right? Like, Going back to the open rate example or um, any paid activity, you you can't get too caught up in those percentages and uh, you have to look at any metric. If you look at any metric in isolation, you have to be careful. You, you have to look at it relative to another metric and make sure you know how to kind of piece the story together because otherwise you're going to um, go down a a rabbit hole of asking questions that, you know, in all fairness, you may never get an answer to. Um, And that's what you ultimately have to be okay with because we know there's a lot of magic happening in the back, back end. um, And, and you're not always going to get hundred percent visibility into what's happening. Yeah. How do you, that comment of you may never get to an answer. Like, do you have a confidence level uh, in the data, in the story that you think the data is telling you that you like is a minimum for you to make action on it, uh, especially in the the affiliate yeah. program? We're always dealing with a ton of data, but there's also a ton of stories and a ton of like emotional attachment to the channel that I don't think other channels get. So how do you, how do you make that decision when you know, how do you allocate budget? How do you allocate mm-hmm. resources when when you already know I'm not I'm never going to be able to get to the 100 percent of the answer? Yeah. So, like an example of like, and this is very specific to affiliates, is you know some of the coupon affiliates will come in at the last moment mm-hmm. and capture the sale and they get the credit, and the the knee jerk reaction is always well, let's just, let's just remove that affiliate. But the quite yeah. like, there's no way to prove that like, if they had it closed the sale that you would have gotten the sale at all. And, and that's a very real um, problem or, or a um, issue that a lot of um, executives or a lot of um, people that are kind of making overall decisions can get into. And, and, it, and it's just like, like let's look at the bigger picture let's see what the macro um kpis are telling us for the channel and let's not get bogged down in something that's like you know in in grand scheme of things of course you don't want to double pay 
uh, for mm. sales or any of those things, taking all of those things into consideration. Um, but, you know, you, you kind of have to be um, okay with, you know, knowing that you're not going to, you're not going to know. <laughs> the only way to know is, okay, remove that affiliate um, yeah. out of, out of the program or reduce their commission structure or whatever the case might be, but you'll more than likely have a bigger problem than figuring out if, if they should get credit for those one or two sales or whatever that amount is. Yeah. And you know, that's always the, the, I think the gut reaction is, well, let's remove them and see what happens. And I, I think the downside of that is this is relationship based partnership marketing and uh, removing someone's income stream uh, to test can have long-term repercussions on whether they ever work with you. Um, I yeah. did have the good fortune, uh, you know, misfortune at the time, a good fortune now looking back, I worked uh, in-house at uh, Coldwater Creek, a women's clothing apparel company years and years ago. And they had our business intelligence team had the same thought, like coupons come in at the end, we don't want them. And uh, I don't want to pay for loyalty uh, sites because we have our own loyalty program and they're going to come to us anyway because our product is so great and unique. I didn't necessarily have an argument for that. So I was forced to actually remove those affiliates. But yeah. one of the things you mentioned earlier, we were talking about testing and we had a hypothesis, right? And it was clear. And we were able to uh, get all that user data and we knew this group of users that came through these loyalty, this loyalty category of affiliates, mm -hmm. they have this behavior coming to the site. So let's remove that loyalty site and see what happens, expecting them in the next six months to make a purchase. Right. You know, they're going to they're going to come back because we're so great. And this is how their behavior has been year over year. Um, sure. Ninety six percent of those did not come back. I'm not surprised. And and we we. You're never going to know exactly why they didn't come back. But through that, we learned like, you know, these, and this is happening even more in the last five years, these affiliates are building brands themselves, right? Yeah. And you may have several touch points through your, your, but your competitor may have those same touch points and it yeah. gets down to where they're shopping at the Crosses end. Paths, and if you're not yeah. there, you don't, you don't get access to that. hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. So from an advertiser standpoint, um, that could again be a hair pulling moment, right? Like, because on one hand you're trying to prove something, but then something else breaks, which probably has a larger implication on the business than just giving the credit. And usually these points to uh, how you're setting up your, your affiliate program as a whole, you should take that into consideration and, and, understanding who the top of the funnel affiliates are going to be and the, the very um, low funnel affiliates are going to be and, and, you know, uh, set up the commission structure accordingly. So you're not caught up into these types of tests that like either way, like, you know, whether you're, whether you're right or wrong in that scenario, um, that's a lot of wasted time and effort to, to prove something either something so small that's not going to help improve the, the business in long term, or it's a huge detriment and you just lost a lot of time and money over something that could have been, uh, you, you could have transitioned from a lot better. 
as a cost benefit analysis to even, you know, testing certain things for sure. Um, yeah. So let's move on to a couple other things. Um, I, uh, as I do in prep for these, uh, episodes, I was looking through your LinkedIn profile and your recommendations and found some really amazing ones, man. People really do uh, love working with you and, and we have too. Um, here's one that jumped out to me. Uh, and they said, I had the pleasure to work with Fahim when he spearheaded uh, the digital marketing at a, a travel company. He's successfully building and executing the business case for an internal agency that went on to positively impact and change digital marketing campaigns across multiple brands. So yeah. oftentimes we have to build a case for, for the channel. Walk me through what's your process for building a case to do something like that? Well, um, that specific situation was unique in that, um, you know, and, and credit to the, to the CEO and, and, and the owners of that company, they had an annual business innovation uh, contest and it was a global company with a global um, uh, contest. So um, that's something that I haven't seen anywhere else. Um, And so for, for me, when I first started with that company, um, I was hired on with just one of the many brands that they owned and for me, I, I always think about how I can do business efficiently and just kind of interacting with the brand and all the different global regions that that one brand had. And then you multiply it by however many brands uh, the parent company owned um, and how many different agencies they were using for each region. And it was just like, to me, it was kind of a no brainer. Um, so through that program, I was able to team up with a few of my colleagues and kind of present this idea of um, an in-house agency that would be a shared service that could that could um, leverage uh, this in-house team that better understands the business um, and has more skin into the game than, and again, no knock against agencies, but, you know, when you're in-house, you get a different level of intimacy and business knowledge that you can't always transfer um, over to an agency. And, um, you know, not all agencies are as great as JB. And that's why we continue to work with you guys. One of the few agencies that we did keep (laughs) um, because we, we, we totally understood the value of what you were bringing to the table. That's awesome. I love the idea of the contest. Yeah. Yeah. And so from, I think it was like a total of 400 ideas that were submitted. Um, that was picked. We got a nice little check. Um, and you know, we built a team, um, from ground up and replicated that model everywhere else in the world. (laughs) That's fantastic. Uh, you know, belated congratulations. I didn't know that's actually how, uh, that came to be, that had to be pretty exciting. Was it a lot of data, competitive research base, like what was inside that uh, uh, that case? Was there, you know, financials or ROI so, projections? Yeah, it was a, it was a mix, right? So, like when I when I first was hired by that brand, uh, we were running media through an agency. Um, during the busiest time of the year, I was asked to fire the agency and build a team in house. Um, and in the first year, 
we were able to, you know, increase leads um, and and uh, sales by, uh, I think overall sales was about 40%. Um, and wow. the main difference was um, understanding the business, knowing all of the nuances. Um, and then we also presented it from cost of an agency versus um, in-house team. And we kind of just built the business case ground up from performance standpoint to um, financials to, um, you know, just just looking at it from every angle. Um, Some of the costs of um, other agencies that the brands had. um, And ultimately, none of those brands were spending enough to get senior level attention. So it was also about when that when you have a brand that's not spending as much, then um, you typically get a junior staffer, but that wouldn't be the case if there was a team in-house that kind of understood the business at a, um, at a deeper level and the staff and the, the overall team was, you know, we, none of us were freshly out of college, if you will. Well, that's really interesting too, that concept of, uh, you know, all these different pieces spending a little bit here and there, not getting the proper attention that the whole would, would require. Uh, that that's super, super interesting. So one of the things, uh, you know, a couple, one common thread that I saw in, in these other recommendations was, uh, your ability to identify KPIs and effectively manage to them. Um, how important is determining the right KPI to hitting your, your goals and how do you do that? Yeah. Um, for me personally, I think my, my ultimate passion is growing businesses and the key to understanding what KPIs you're going to want to hit is, uh, ultimately understanding what, what the business is about and what they're out to achieve. Right. So going back to that travel, um, example, you know, butts and seats is, was kind of the North star for everything. Um, yeah, or, yeah. or uh, selling travel packages. So taking that and then just kind of drilling down into, okay, how do you, uh, which channels are going to allow you to identify travel intenders? Um, and then from those channels, what are the demographics of, of that audience? Um, and then what is the demographics of the brand? So if you have a brand that's focused primarily on um a young audience, then, um, you know, if, and the channel is going to drive majority of the, um, 55 plus audience, then that's not going to be a good match. Um, and so you kind of just do a deep dive and, and, you know, you, you, you put digital marketing aside and you, 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 you think common sense, right? Like, um, a lot of times, you know, when you're in the digital marketing and, and general marketing world, you get caught up in the acronyms and the technicalities, but when you take a step back, it's, it's really all the same, right? Like how you think about growing a business, whether it's online or offline is essentially the same, the medium that you use and, and the learnings that you have for certain mediums, you can be transferred um, from one to the next, but um, you kind of have to just put that all aside and, and think about it from like common sense level. Um, and, and more, more often than not, like, you know, you'll, 
you'll you'll be led to the right places and in in other instances you have to learn by trial and error and and those are key learnings as well to help you uh further grow the business awesome thank you for that um with that travel client we work together and uh, manage together multiple regions, multiple brands. What yep. what are some of the key takeaways someone would need to remember and and to kind of have in their pocket for managing an affiliate program internationally? Sorry, so so you're asking like how do you scale a program? Yeah, yeah. What are the keys to that? Yeah, um, I think um, for the most part, it's it's understanding that it's not a one size fit all. Um, solution. There are certain regions of the world that are obviously before the pandemic, they were more susceptible to being shy or being uneasy about travel as a whole. Whereas you have like Australia where you have the whole gap year and um, that, that whole thing going on. So like really understanding the cultural view of that product is a, is a key element to it and, and kind of, building synergies and leaning into those types of cultural practices um, is going to, you know, give you a, a better idea of how to um, develop that um, marketing plan. So for example, in like in Australia, you have a, a gap year and those types of things. So you may not have to do as much upper funnel activity to build brand awareness because people are already looking for that. So you really have to just show up mm. where people are searching and be there. Yeah, um, that's like 90% of that battle. Um, whereas in the US, people have a very independent way of traveling and they're not used to the group travel. Group travel is typically older generation and um, you know not ready to uh, give up their freedom of what they wanna do when they wanna do it and those types of things. So, um, so you, you, you may have to do a lot more storytelling, showing benefits of why it makes sense to travel in a group and so on and so forth. So it sounds like it really comes to, you know, a mistake I think that a lot of U.S. Um, advertisers make when going abroad is treating it all as the same. The yeah. marketing we do here is going to work over there. And and uh, each region has its own culturals and norms. And the audience is is different in each one. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. So, you know, uh, We've been talking about travel a little bit. Things have been kind of, even since we started a conversation about being in the podcast, the environment and the world has continues to change and ebb and flow. Yeah. Do you have any sort of predictions or uh, where do you see things in the next, uh, you know, six months going for, uh, you have a lot of experience in the travel space for the travel space. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to say now, especially with all the Delta stuff coming up. Um, I think New Zealand just went back into lockdown after getting one yeah, COVID case. Um, so it it's um, and there's a lot of uncertainty for sure. But one thing one thing that you know we could definitely agree on probably is that you know the the adoption of technology is going to continue in the trajectory that we've we've seen in the past year and a half. I think mobile. We used to talk about mobile first and figuring out what mobile is going to bring to the table and will people uh, engage in transactions over mobile. And that's like that, like if people are still thinking about that, they're they're almost 
six to seven years behind. Um, (laughs) And, and and even more so um, I think in mobile payments um, and, and those types of things peer to peer uh, uh, there's, there's a lot of opportunity um, in the mobile space as a whole. Um, I think even as advertisers, we've typically um, kind of just laughed at mobile app advertisements. We don't take those clicks seriously. And, and I think a lot of those things will begin to change. Um, obviously, there's a, a lot of iOS 14 uh, impacting how we advertise and where we advertise and the data we get back and all of those things. But um, I think overall, not just in travel, but as a whole, um, we'll continue to see the, um, the adoption rate of technology in all aspects of life um, continue at the trajectory that we're at. Awesome. Yeah, definitely seen an uptick in adoption. Well, Fahim, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, on multiple occasions to record this podcast and working through <laughs> some scheduling stuff. Uh, very much appreciate it. If, Thanks for your flexibility as well. Yeah, no problem. If uh, any of our listeners are interested in following up with you or following you, uh, how can they do that? Yeah, you could um, You could go to my website, sharedigital.com, sh. A Y R digital.com, or you could just, you know, look me up on LinkedIn and, and drop a message. Awesome. Well, we'll include your LinkedIn, uh, a link to your LinkedIn profile in our show notes. Uh, and again, really appreciate you taking the time, drop some really good nuggets of, uh, knowledge on us and appreciate that. Thank you. No problem. Well, first off, thank you so much Fahim, for joining me on this podcast and multiple occasions to record uh, this episode. Appreciate your flexibility and and really your candor in answering all these questions. For our listeners, some of the real big takeaways here were around KPIs. What is valuable, what is not, uh, but also you know how, how to build a business case for the affiliate channel and how to use data to make that happen. And really the, the role of just making a decision plays in uh, managing a, a good affiliate program. Fahim had some fantastic advice for international affiliate programs as well. And if you didn't hear that, write this down. Every region is different. You have to understand the consumers and the market in each region and run your program, your channel accordingly to that. One of the great things that I I had no idea, uh, and like I said, we've worked, Fahim and JEB have worked together on multiple accounts, but one of the biggest ones, multi-brand international program and how that came about through a global innovation contest. Uh, had no idea that was new. I love that idea. That's definitely something I'm going to do here at JEB Commerce. So Fahim, thank you again. And make sure you follow him on LinkedIn or go to his website. We will list that in the show notes. Now, if you found this episode valuable, I would really appreciate it if you shared it on your socials or send it to someone that you think would benefit from it. And also leave us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and the podcast player of your choice. That really helps us get the word out. And we are planning season three of the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast, and I am looking for guests. So if you are a digital marketer, if you are an affiliate marketer, if you are able to talk about building good creatives that convert 
Uh, if you're able to talk about regulatory issues in the industry, you're able to talk about the future of affiliate tracking, man, we really want to hear from you. So you can email us at gethelp at jebcommerce.com and we will get you on the docket. Now, if you need help with your affiliate program, maybe you run an international program or a travel program, uh, like we talked about today and you want that thing humming along super effectively and productively you got two ways to get help from me one is our email address get help at jebcommerce.com and the other is directly setting up a meeting with me you can go to calendly.com slash jamie birch uh, and find a time that works for you and you and i will chat about your affiliate program well i hope this was helpful and enlightening for you i know it was for me i really enjoy every conversation that fahim and i are able to have but i hope it was good for you and i hope you have a wonderful day <music>